Our scripture passage this morning, we're continuing in the book of Romans. It will be in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. And uh, we're not going to be able to cover all those verses this morning, but I think it's interesting that uh, chapter 13, because people have already been asking me questions, you know, what if the government does this and sets those kind of limitations and, you know, suggest we do such and such. And uh, so chapter 13 says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So that'll be interesting to see where we are as a country in a world next week. <laughs> yeah, Joe's been asking some of those hard questions, so that's why he's laughing already. <laughs> but, uh, but it's interesting. God's timing is perfect and where we are. You know, as pastors, we've been discussing through texting this week, uh, are you going to continue your regular sermon schedule? Or are you going to do a special message? You know, and there's, yeah... You know, it kind of depends on where we are because we want to address God's word and, and seek God's word and God's will for, for where we are. And uh, so we will keep that in mind. So at least for this morning, and it's, it is timely, it may not sound to begin with, and I'm not going to get through the whole outline this morning, so, so don't panic when, when the, the clock strikes 12, as it were, and you go, oh, gee, I'm still on the first page of the pastor's outline. <laughs> Because, but one of the things I did this week was I put the points in sentence form, and so those that we don't cover, you can go home and study it on your own. And it, it's very, it's, it's very clear cut, really, in, in a way. But we will be making some points this morning that are, that are apropos for where we are this morning. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 12, never pay, pay back evil for evil, respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Shall we pray? Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We thank you that it is your word. This is how you speak to us, through your Holy Spirit, through the words. Father, I pray that uh, it will come to our hearts and our minds, Father, in a way that not only we understand it, but we know how to apply it to our lives, for our good and for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to call your attention to a word in verse 21 of this 12th chapter of Romans. The word is overcome. Overcomes. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Greek word translated overcome is nikao, which means to conquer, to prevail. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And the noun form of nikao is nike. Does that sound familiar? Yep, same as the Nike shoe. That's where they got the word. The word Nike in Greek means victory. And in Greek mythology, Nike is the goddess of victory. She's the winged goddess with a sword in her hand. And, you know, that's, the, and that's exactly where Nike shoes in Seattle got the, the name for their shoe. As they went several months and they were already doing all kinds of stuff and trying to figure out how, you know, what's the best word? And they tried all kinds of things. They came up with, with Nike, the goddess of victory. Well, yeah, we're not going to talk about the goddess of victory today, but the word nikao, to conquer, 
appears several times in the New Testament where it's translated overcomes. And a Nike is an overcomer in Scripture. And so some of the most familiar passages of this, of, of the use, are in the book of Revelation. So if you want to turn over to the book of Revelation for a moment, chapter 7 of Revelation, beginning at verse, or chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. And as you know, in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John was commanded by the resurrected Lord Jesus, who appeared to him, to write seven letters and address them to the churches in Asia Minor, which is Turkey today. And each one of these letters concludes, each individual letter concludes with a promise to the church. In, in many of the letters, there's a commendation and there's a condemnation, except for the church at, I believe, I can't remember exactly which one, but the persecuted church received no <laughs> condemnation from the Lord, and that's the only one. And then there's this wonderful promise to the church. So in, in chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord said, Write to the church at Ephesus, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, there's our word, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then if you go to verse 11 of the second chapter, to the church at Smyrna, the Lord said, right, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You know, I'm reading these to show that overcoming is no small thing, that, that it's connected with the, the greatest, the best, the most wonderful promises of victory and overcoming all evil that we find in the New Testament. Uh, verse 17 of the second chapter, to the church at Pergamon, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he's writing to an individual church, but here the message is to all of us as, as the churches of Jesus Christ. To him who overcomes, to him I will give him some of the hidden manna. I have no idea what that means, okay? And I will give him a white stone. I don't know exactly what that means. With a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. I, I don't understand that, but I know that Jesus calls us by name now. And for all eternity, he's going to call us individually by name. What a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. You know, we have pet names for our kids. Some are good, some are bad. You know, my daughter didn't like me to call her Sweet Pea, but I called her Sweet Pea when she was little. And uh, we took her over to the, the hospital in Weezer when she had really bad ear infections. They were going to put, take her adenoids out and put tubes and all that horrible stuff that happens to a, a poor little kid. kid. And, one time the nurse came in and, and said to her, she was suffering, and she says, how are you doing, sweet pea? And she said, she knows my name. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what a wonderful thing. Uh, to the church at Thyatira in verse uh, 26, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over all the nations. Uh, chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And of course, we know that's the righteousness of Christ. And I will not cease, I will not erase his name from the book of life. 
and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Uh, verse, verse 12 of, the, of this third chapter. He who overcomes, he says to the church at Philadelphia, I will, not, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God and my new name. And I think we got one more, verse 21 of this third chapter. Even to the church of Laodicea, there's this wonderful promise. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We will sit on the throne with the father and the, the son. You know, and, and Jesus said he was an overcomer. And he promised, he told his disciples in the upper room in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, right? You will tribulate. I just turned that into a verb. I don't like it when they take uh, uh, nouns and make them verbs. You know, uh, what does it mean to task somebody? You know, a task is a, is a, a noun. You know, I am tasked with this. You know, I was watching a movie, and it was a historical movie. I don't know if it was one of Jane Austen's books or one of the others. And, and somebody said, I want to task you with this. And I go, no, they never used the word that way. <laughs> you know, but, you know, here, tribulate could be a very, good, a very good verb. When we are tribulated, when we're going through trouble, when we're going through sorrow, when there's viruses, whatever it is, and we feel like we don't have any control over that, Jesus says, take courage. Be brave, for I have overcome the world. I haven't overcome part of the world or part of the universe. I have overcome the entire creation. And in our text in Romans chapter 12, we get into the day in and day out nuts and bolts of those who are, are overcomers. We overcome. How do we conquer? How do we have the victory? When horrible things are done to us, when mean and evil people do even unspeakable things to us, how do we overcome? When mean and wicked people do bad and traumatic things to us, how do we have the victory? The Apostle Paul, as we've talked about in our study of Romans, he, he, he's not writing in a vacuum. Uh, Pastor John Piper said this, We have grown accustomed in the modern Western world to take for granted that we have the inalienable, inalienable human rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We assume that our rights should be protected by law and by force if necessary. And we feel a bewildered, almost speechless rage when our rights are violated and nothing is done about it. Such rights do exist, and they exist largely because of the Christian worldview that once permeated much of our Western culture. And to this day is the fading reason why so much freedom endures in the world. In other words, we still have so much freedom in the world because of the Christian values and worldview uh, that has come through the United States and our Constitution. But he says, we need to make clear that such rights were not assumed in the first century. Christianity was born in a world of totalitarianism. For 300 years, there was no legal legitimacy or protection for Christians. 
to convert from the pagan religions and say Jesus is Lord was to risk your life. In some communities, in some places, once a year, they would bring a statue of Caesar on a cart and they would come into town. You would pay a tax and you would say Caesar is Lord. And you were required by law to do that. Now you can imagine when you cannot say that and Jesus is, is Lord. And so he says to convert from one of the pagan religions and say Jesus is Lord was to risk your life, literally. He says this was not strange. This was the world in which the New Testament was written. Peter puts it like this. And the same thing could be written over every first century church. Beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, it was not strange to be persecuted. What is strange historically is we are not. Now, we may not face the same kind of brutal persecution as the early church or like millions of Christians around the world are facing every day, but we still overcome the evil that is done against us the same way. As believers, we're not exempt from deep hurts and traumatic wrongs that are done against us. We're not exempt from abusive relationships. Christians are victims of fraud and theft, theft, rape, assault. Loved ones are murdered. It's always a precious thing when we see the forgiveness that Christians can give to a perpetrator in very difficult circumstance. We're not exempt just because we are Christians. We're not exempt from the coronavirus just because we are Christians. Like God say, I, I'm just going to say no Christians are going to get this. In fact, being Christians can open us up to more evil. We have a target on us and Satan is zeroing in. It's one of my favorite far side cartoons of all time. Two deer are standing up and talking to one another. And one of the deers has a target on his chest. And the other deer says to him, Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> By virtue of our new birth in Jesus Christ, we have a bummer of a birthmark. We are targeted people. So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 for a moment. In the first chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is telling the Philippians about his literally horrible circumstances in prison and how that is working out for the greater progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Members of the Praetorian Guard have come to Christ. That's, we would say that's Caesar's own bodyguard. And the Praetorian Guard was legions and legions of, of Roman soldiers who swore allegiance only to him. In fact, other legions of the Roman army that conquered all over the world were not allowed, it was illegal for them to come into Rome. Because Rome itself, the emperor himself was afraid of all of his other legions. And so there was the very powerful Praetorian Guard that protected the, the Caesar, the Roman emperor himself. And members of the Praetorian Guard, because of Paul's imprisonment, were coming to faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. And he said, many of the brethren have gained the courage to speak the word of God without fear. 
And so on account of his horrible circumstances and how Paul was handling it and still te- preaching the gospel and stuff, other people are saying, hey, I can do that. In fact, it became so popular that people who were doing it for the wrong motives were doing it. <laughs> they were proclaiming the gospel totally out of the wrong motives. And Paul said, don't chastise them, don't criticize them, because what? The gospel is being preached. Even when somebody does it out of wrong motivation and does it for their own personal gain, if the gospel is preached, it is, is preached. You know, a pastor friend of mine told me once at a time, he said, you know, I didn't know that the pastor who led me to Christ and baptized me over in Caldwell, Idaho, turned out to be one of the biggest crooks in Canyon County. <laughs> but he said, I was saved, I was baptized, I grew in the Lord, and I went to seminary, and I became a pastor. I probably shouldn't have used Caldwell, because some of you might know who that was. <laughs> but it goes way back, way back, <laughs> way back. You know, and, and so, because of his circumstances. Then Paul says in verse 19 of... Uh, Philippians chapter 1, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, and here's the key phrase, be exalted in my body. Be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's aim, whether it was by life, which on account of his mistreatment was pretty miserable physically at the time, or by his death, which would be at the hands of those mistreating him, his aim was that Christ be exalted in my body. When we are mistreated, our aim must be the same. That Christ be exalted. Whether he lived or died, Paul fully expected that Christ would be honored. In effect, he he confidently said, My body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. My body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. And this is the same thought that Paul was expressing over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Fourth chapter, Second Corinthians, the sixth verse. And in fourth chapter, Second Corinthians, Paul is comparing our, our our human bodies to clay pots. Remember that? We're earthen vessels. We're fragile. We're broken in all kinds of ways. But nevertheless, these earthen pots, our bodies, these crack pots, as one Christian committee comedian used to put it. We contain the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so he says in uh, verse 6, or verse 4 of Romans, yeah, verse 6 of Romans chapter 4. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, same way in creation, let there be light, is the one who has shown where in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, excuse me, in the face of Christ. Give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. The treasure, the light, the glory of Christ is in us. And one of the reasons is is that's where the power comes from. It doesn't come from us, anything that that we can do. It's, It's the power. 
And then look at verse 8. Look at the abuse, at least one particular, and, and Paul and the other uh, people in his missionary team. Look at the abuse the clay pot can take. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. To me, this is the spiritual version of Clint Eastwood's Go Ahead and Make My Day. And we all know what that means. You know, you take that first shot, you know, he had the 357 Magnum gun. You know, he called it the biggest gun, biggest handgun ever, ever made. And my dad had one of those too, you know. But I, I won't go back to all Clint Eastwood thought of that because why do I say it's the spiritual version of go ahead and make my day? It's the spiritual version, go ahead and make Christ day. Because Paul knew that every whip of the lash on his lash of the whip on his back that broke his skin, that every blow that took a chunk out of him would only cause the light of Jesus Christ to shine more brightly through him. Go ahead, because every hurtful word that you say to me, every bad thing that happens to me, everything you do to me, the life of Jesus Christ will be manifested through his mortal body. Paul, the veteran of hundreds of lashes and a thousand indignities, did not know what pains and humiliations awaited him, but there was no fear in Paul. Rather, there was abounding, eager confidence that whatever happened, Christ would be glorified. The glory of Christ would shine more brightly through him. And that's our aim as well. And you're going to have to finish the whole rest of the outline on your own study time this week. <laughs> because uh, one of the things that probably is helpful to talk about is, you know, when it comes to vengeance and those kind of revenge, we know that, that that's wrong. But I do want to mention just, just one thing about uh, verse 20 of Romans chapter 12, because this is so important. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What do we make of that? And uh, my New Testament professor, Dr. Robert Unmack, said something that I will never forget. And it's so important to remember. The burning coals on his head are not to burn him up. The burning coals are to melt his hardened heart and make him receptive to Jesus Christ. Uh, several years ago in Guidepost, there was a, a story, and I'll see if I can remember it without looking at my notes here because I have no idea where it is in this big stack I still have on my desk. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was in, in Armenia uh, when the, the Turks from Turkey, were, they were at war with Turkey and it was a brutal war and, and those kind of things. And uh, a young woman and her younger brother were, were taken by an, into an alley by a, a Turkish soldier. And the soldier, the words are coming out hard, the, the, the soldier killed uh, her younger brother, shot him and killed him and let him live. 
And then several weeks later, she was working at a nurse in a hospital. And the same soldier came in wounded. This enemy soldier came in wounded. She ministered to him. She loved him. She had, it was hard, <laughs> you know. And at some point when he was going to recover, and he recognized who she was, and uh, he said, why, why would you help me when I've done this horrible thing to you? And she said, it's because I'm a Christian. And I love Jesus Christ. And he loves you too. And he said, I must know more about this Jesus. And she led him to Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that even on a morning like this with everything that's going on in our community and in our world, Father, your word speaks to us. I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us all things and brings an understanding that, that we cannot have. Father, I thank you that even as a preacher and a teacher, it, it's, it's not up to me, but it's your word and your word that has the power. That it's the light of the glory of Christ in us that has the power. And Father, I thank you for the wonderful privilege and blessing of just being a conduit, of just being that earthen pot, that clay vessel, that we can display something that's far beyond ourselves or what we could do, the glory of the light of Christ that shines in us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.